Hello, everybody. Welcome to the CIRA Week conversation presented by IHS Market. And today we're going to have a conversation with one of the leading actors influencing the, the future of energy and, and the future of the energy transition in South Africa and indeed in Africa as a whole. We have with us today Andre de Reiter, who leads ESCOM. It's the state-owned vertically integrated electricity provider in South Africa, largest utility in Africa. Uh, it's got a long heritage, but uh, as of now, it is plagued with a few areas of uh, problems. Uh, it's got low plant availability. It's got high debt service requirements. And that has led to, for instance, the need to ration power to consumers, what they call load shedding in South Africa. It's a very sensitive issue. So Andre, welcome to Sierra Week Conversations. Um, you were appointed CEO of ESCOM nearly two years ago. Tell us what led you to accept the job, recognizing you know it's definitely one of the hottest seats in South Africa, if not in Africa. Andy, uh, thanks for the opportunity and good to be in conversation with you. Uh, well, as you, as you know, they say, uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Uh, there's maybe a bit of that, uh, but seriously, I think um, I felt that I had the opportunity to try and make a difference. Uh, Eskom is obviously central to the economy of South Africa. Um, when the opportunity was presented to me, I felt that if I uh, turned it down, I would forfeit my right to complain. And uh, we as South Africans are very good at whinging about electricity in particular. So um, I thought it was my duty uh, and in a very old fashioned sense, maybe, which is uh, not a popular thing these days, uh, there was a sense of patriotism as well. You know, the, the, the country needed yeah. somebody to step up to the plate and I was pleased to be able to do that. Well, okay. <laughs> we talked about these range of challenges. You would be very much aware of them, I'm sure, when you, when you moved into that hot seat. And um, you know, did you have a vision right from the start of how you were going to you know, improve performance in, in ESCOM, turn it around? And you know, did you move straight in day one into that agenda? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so the, the, the fortunate thing about working for a public utility is that its problems and its challenges are very public. Uh, so there was a lot of information available and accessible which I steeped myself in for a couple of months before formally taking up the job. I spoke to consultants, advisors, former employees, current employees, uh, former directors, uh, and got the benefit of their wisdom and their suggestion. And out of that, I was able to synthesize a, a five-point plan, uh, five priority areas for the turnaround plan focusing on uh, operational stability. As you mentioned, we have very low plant availability. Uh, so turning that around was, was clearly uh, the top priority. Uh, getting to um, an improved income statement, the balance sheet. Uh, you mentioned the fact that we have uh, an enormous quantum of debt, um, but then also uh, restructuring ourselves from this monolithic vertically integrated utility that we've been for the past century into an unbundled uh, structure comprising of three different legal entities. 
And then the last priority was focusing on the people. Uh, we have emerged from an era of uh, an unprecedented amount of corruption, uh, something that is known in South Africa as state capture, where uh, people with nefarious intent moved in on uh, vulnerable enterprises such as ESCOM uh, for their own financial benefit and purloined uh, billions and billions of uh, uh, rands uh, for their own benefit. And turning that culture around um, is, is proving to one of the keys in turning the entire organization around. Okay, so a five-point plan right from day one then, Andre. Those five points, they're still priorities are still in that order or what? Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I think, I think General MacArthur said it, uh, you make a plan and you stick to it. Um, of course, uh, Clausewitz said, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So uh, the truth is probably somewhere in between. <laughs> All right. So um, progress to date then. We've uh, launched a maintenance recovery program. Part of the reason why energy availability factor has been so very low is the fact that maintenance was deferred. Um, so the, the outages that we should have done weren't done. Uh, and of course, you know, it's like any, any piece of mechanical equipment. If you don't maintain it, eventually the, the, the equipment will start scheduling downtime for you because it will just simply break down. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, and that's caused great damage to the South African economy to invest confidence, uh, energy, and particularly electricity is so key to any modern economy that uh, any lack of certainty in the electricity supply really um, weighs very heavily on the economy. So we, we've launched this program, resourced it well, um, brought back some uh, expertise that we'd lost. And uh, as we sitting here today, I must say that the generation system looks substantially more stable than it did 18 months ago. Uh, we, we went through a couple of rough patches uh, because of the fact that we scheduled additional maintenance. So the limited reserve margin that we had got even more compressed, but um, the, the outlook for the short term is I think significantly more positive. I, I have to be cautious. Um, when you have an unstable, unpredictable system, it tends to keep you quite humble. Uh, so I'm not going to say we've seen the end of load shedding, but certainly the prognosis is looking substantially better. Uh, on the balance sheet uh, side, we've managed to reduce our debt by 20% in a year. Uh, so that I think is a, is a move in the right direction. From an income statement perspective, we were able to put through a 15% increase in tariffs, which of course made me uh, wildly popular amongst my fellow South Africans. Uh, but it was inevitable. It was either that or uh, continued subsidies from taxpayers, which, which obviously distorts all sorts of fiscal priorities. Uh, we've also managed to reduce our headcount without resorting to um, forced retrenchments. So we've reduced headcount by about 4,600 employees, uh, which is a fairly substantial number, about 10% of our staff. Uh, there's, there's more work to be done, but I think we've, we've made a move in the right direction. And then we've uh, clamped down very substantially on waste. Um, there, there are 
there were so many incidents of uh, procurement inefficiencies that that we sure. restructured, implemented new systems, and so forth. So uh, the finances are looking substantially better. The restructuring is proceeding well. We should have the first entity transmission uh, set up as a fully legally separated um, entity by the end of this year. So um, I think, you know, so far the, the scoreboard is uh, ticking along in the right direction, at least. No, absolutely. That looks a, a pretty good scorecard right now. But all that in the context, you know, of a pandemic and the issues around COVID, it was, was COVID something you were able to manage well? Did it provide a little bit of relief, in fact, in terms of lowering demand? So, or, you know, were the operational issues of, uh, of managing you know, such a complex system in the, in the face of COVID constraints a, a real additional problem you had to face? Yeah, it was a, um, a bit of a blessing and a curse. Um, on the one hand, a blessing in that it lowered demand, to your point. We uh, saw electricity sales drop 6.7% during the um, initial stages of the very stringent lockdown imposed by the government of South Africa. Uh, that gave us a bit of a breather to do some uh, short-term maintenance interventions. But on the other hand, because of these very same lockdown restrictions, we saw um, a difficulty in being able to congregate employees and contractors on sites where we had to do uh, a substantial amount of work. So productivity was negatively impacted as a consequence of this. But all in all, I think we've now emerged from COVID. We've learned ways to work under uh, pandemic circumstances. Uh, our operations are by and large normal now. Um, we've, we've incorporated all of the hygiene measures in our daily activities. Uh, so I think it's, it's something like the rest of the world we've been uh, able to learn to live with. Okay, so on the short term then, you know, that all sounds relatively positive, albeit you know, you've had to have a bit more realism in terms of electricity pricing in South Africa. Uh, looking at the longer term, you know, and thinking about, you know, the decarbonization agenda for South Africa, you know, South Africa is a, you know, a country in many ways that was built on coal. And, you know, the half billion tons of, of CO2 emissions, you know, from the country, more than 70% of that is coal related. And you in ESCOM are responsible, I think, for 60% of those coal emissions. You know, you have a, a massive coal generation capability. So you know, tell me how you are, are working with the government, within the company, in, in terms of you know, driving the, uh, the government ambitions for the energy transition. So, you know, the fact that we've got an old fleet of power stations, coal-fired power stations, uh, when you exclude our two new uh, coal-fired plants, the average age of our fleet is 41 years of age, which yeah. is part of the reason why they are so um, poor in terms of performance. And that creates an opportunity for us to accelerate the shutdown of these stations uh, and in so doing, access concessional funding. And that concessional funding will allow us to accelerate the introduction of low and no carbon 
forms of electricity generation, but also will allow us to invest in those power stations that we're going to shut down where we want to repurpose and repower them. And the idea behind that is to ensure that this energy transition is a just one. Uh, okay, we hear a lot about this just transition in, in South Africa. Correct. Tell us a little bit more about what it means for ESCOM and for all the stakeholders in your business. So for, for, for very obvious reasons, people who've invested a lot of um, capital, but also personal time and their skills in the coal value chain are very concerned about the prospect of 22 gigawatts of generation capacity being retired, coal-fired generation capacity, uh, by 2035. So that's a big number. That's about half of our total installed capacity. And uh, there is alarm, uh, there is concern, and we have to address that by ensuring that this transition is just. How do we do that? Instead of going to the best solar acreage that we've got in South Africa, for example, we as ESCOM view that it's um, our responsibility to create alternative opportunities at the sites of those old power stations uh, put in, for example, uh, combined cycle gas turbines, uh, look at uh, PV plants, uh, put up manufacturing facilities for um, modular microgrids, which is a very interesting concept that we've developed for providing electricity to far-flung areas that are very difficult to access with conventional grid technology. So that's all part of the plan to ensure that we can give as soft a landing as possible to people who have significant vested interests in coal, uh, that we don't cause the same sort of disruption that you've seen in certain towns in the north of England, for example. And does that bring any commercial issues? I mean, in terms of, you know, they are, there are tender processes for the rounds of, uh, of new renewable you know, IPPs in South Africa, and typically, you know, those will be awarded to the, uh, you know, the entities that can provide renewable electricity at the lowest price. Does that mean these other considerations and trade-offs are, are things that you, you force into the system? Uh, so that is why ESCOM wishes to continue to participate in generation. Uh, we, we do believe that, that we have an enabling role to play in providing the outcome to this just energy transition. It's very difficult to expect a private investor looking for a return on investment to uh, take a 12% efficiency drop by forcing the location of a PV plant in a less desirable area. And that is why we are talking to these concessional lenders with a view to ensuring that this transition can be just. And that's the role that we intend to play. Okay, which, you know, so if we drop back then to these bigger issues of, of government policy, you're a state-owned company, you know, how easy is it for you to, you know, to bring your own philosophy into what appear to be somewhat bureaucratic, you know, policies that are issued by a number of different ministries, you know, that, that, that impact you, not only your know, Ministry of Industry and National Resources, the Ministry of Environment, the Ministry of Trade and Industry, I guess all these your various masters, yeah, 
Is it, uh, do you have real freedom of discretion? Uh, not as much as I would have had if ESCOM were a private entity. I, I, I will readily concede that. But I do think that increasingly there's a realization amongst the policymakers that if we have mutually reinforcing industrial, uh, energy, um, fiscal and environmental policies, that there's a real opportunity here for us to, to use this energy crisis that we've got and to use it as a pivot to uh, act as a stimulus for uh, South Africa that, as you know, has one of the highest unemployment rates in the world. So this notion of building back better, uh, you know, it's the, it's the cliche of the pandemic. We, we really think that we've got an opportunity, given all of our unique challenges and all of our unique circumstances, to achieve exactly that positive outcome. Okay. And does that mean ESCOM is really active and, and proactive in influencing government policy and reshaping government policy? We, we try to persuade the politicians to uh, do what we think uh, is in the best interest of the country. I must say that we have had very strong expressions of support from President Cyril Ramaphosa. So he's, he's personally come out and, and backed our plan. And uh, that has significantly helped, uh, I think, align uh, various government departments to, to uh, understand that uh, this is indeed a plan of national priority. Okay. Well, you mentioned earlier, Andre, you know, your longer term agenda to, uh, to split into three uh, distinct businesses, unbundling. You know, this was a, a key tenet of, uh, of your president's State of a Nation address, I think, earlier this year. In many ways, it was you know, one of the routes to solve some of these shorter term problems as well that have plagued ESCOM. Um, but you know, how easy is it going to, uh, to be to do that? And in many areas, it will mean that you know, ESCOM is going to be competing much more with the private sector and uh, we'll, we'll have to demonstrate, you know, it can be truly competitive. Is that something that's going to be, is in ESCOM's nature or is it, uh, is it something that you, you particularly want to drive? Is there a mentality change that needs to happen there within the organization? Tell us a little bit more. Absolutely, Andy. The, the, the culture change in moving from a hundred year old monopoly to an entity that now has to compete with the private sector and private sector efficiencies uh, will take some doing. Uh, we are trying to uh, drive that understanding of the business, um, know your numbers, uh, know capital is not an infinite resource. No, you've actually got to do the numbers and demonstrate that it's got a positive return before you're allowed to make the investment. Uh, so there is significant um, attitudinal changes that have to take place in order to ensure that, that we can compete. Uh, but the alternative for South Africa really is that we um, never have enough electricity. And that cannot be a way in which we want to run a modern developing economy. So we, we are faced with a choice between choosing uh, to perpetuate Eskom's monopoly and protect it, or accept competition, but also unlock significant new private investment in generation capacity that, of course, will be beneficial not only from an energy security point of view, 
but also from um, a job creation point of view and hopefully ultimately stimulating uh, investment and manufacturing as well. So if we think about increased you know, competition in generation in particular, you know, where will ESCOM be most affected, do you think? I think that um, it is likely that ESCOM may be, if we're not careful, be used as the ultimate battery. Given the non-dispatchable nature of uh, renewable energy, I can definitely foresee a tendency for ESCOM to be called upon to provide electricity seven o'clock at night when the, when the sun is set. Uh, while many of our customers have defected off the grid uh, during daytime hours, uh, that is definitely a trend that, that we see uh, already developing. And of course, we need to now put in place the appropriate tariff mechanisms to signal to our customers that there's going to be a capacity charge and an energy charge. So that yeah. if you want to have the luxury of avoiding the investment in storage uh, by being able to call on ESCOM when uh, the sun doesn't shine, well, then there's a cost attached to that. And, and, and that is where I think our business is going to go in the future. Okay, well, will it open up some some opportunities to do things that you haven't done before? I mean, to date, the renewables have been, you know, moved through IPPs. Will it allow, you know, ESCOM to take direct investments in renewables and uh, be a renewable operator? That's very much part of our plan, yes. Uh, we've, we've got a couple of sites that we've identified, both uh, wind and solar, uh, that are very promising and uh, look, look very positive. And we would very much like to be involved uh, in, in this uh, new trend because we, we believe that uh, ultimately we, we have a reduced but not uh, an entirely eliminated role to play in generation in South Africa. Okay. And you talked a little bit about the cultural challenge that this is going to pose for some of your employees. So you're a lawyer, I believe, is that right, Andre, by, by training? Yes, Yeah, lapsed lawyer, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I think the branding is still, is always there, I understand. But uh, obviously ESCOM is, you know, has a long heritage of engineering heritage, technological, technical heritage, and, um, you know, maybe it's going to have to face up to some new commercial realities. You know, what, what are the real challenges to changing the culture and what key new competencies do you think you have to bring into, into ESCOM you know, to, to really make it survive, compete and actually thrive in this new competitive environment? Andy, I think what, what we require is, is a significant step change in our business acumen. Uh, we need to start behaving like business people. We need to start appreciating, as I've said, that capital is a scarce resource. We need to start appreciating that we're not entitled to the loyalty of our customers. We actually need to earn it uh, by providing uh, excellent service. We need to understand that, that, that reliability is not something that we can compromise on. So uh, there are many of the bad habits that you typically find with a monopoly in terms of inefficiencies in allocating capital, inefficiencies in allocating human resources, 
uh, a, a complacency when it comes to um, accepting your strong market position uh, to one where we understand now increasingly and my senior management team I think have have woken up to this reality that in the very near future we are going to be facing competition on all fronts and I think it's a for me it's an exciting and energizing prospect I think for some of my colleagues it's perhaps a little bit more daunting uh, but that's the culture change that we have to go through and I think it's it's um, absolutely the right thing for the organization to give it a new lease on life okay we're we're coming to the end of this Zero Week conversation, but I'd like to, you know, as you're probably aware, we in IHS Market and I personally led a study we did recently on prospects for hydrogen in South Africa. We came to the conclusion you know, there are some very positive prospects for hydrogen. You know, is that something that's possibly encompassed in, in, encompassed in your vision for ESCOM, your participation in that? I was fascinated to see Cecil announce yesterday, you know, that they they see themselves becoming a leading player in hydrogen in, in South Africa, but also globally. So yeah, big role for ESCOM as well. Our primary focus now is on turning around the business. So hydrogen clearly is a technology that, that we would like to focus on, um, but as a second horizon activity or a second horizon priority. Uh, it's not something in which we are going to go into immediately. Uh, hydrogen is, of course, extremely interesting, and uh, it, it attracts um, a lot of opinions and views. Uh, we would, at this point in time, uh, avoid all of those delicious debates and rather focus on turning around the business, doing what we have to do. And if ultimately uh, we, we, we have enough green electricity available to convert that into green hydrogen, well, then that's a bonus. But I think that to be distracted right now uh, with a focus on, on, on something that doesn't immediately add electrons on the grid uh, is, is something that we are not going to enter into just yet. Okay, I think many of us fully understand that. Um, and you know, your, your five-point agenda, the longer-term you know, transition, transformation, restructuring, Reculturalizing that we've talked about for you know, which is your big challenges here in in ESCOM. All of that, you know, when people look back at your term as uh, as head of ESCOM, what would you like them to to see as you know something where you really put your footprint on change and really drove you know the organization to you know, to meet this new agenda. So looking back, I don't know, five, 10 years in the future, however long it's going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to write my own performance agreement, but um, the, the, the three things that I'd like to achieve, uh, first of all, is um, the achievement of an environmentally um, sound roadmap going forward. So um, both the financial aspects, the technical aspects, reduction in emissions, uh, not only carbon, but also particulate SOXs, NOXs, and so forth. So that's an important part of the agenda. The second very important part of the agenda is to um, end load shedding. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a bane in South Africa. Uh, people have suffered greatly. The economy has suffered greatly. So putting an end to load shedding would be a major milestone to be achieved. 
The third one is to make the organization profitable. Uh, we've just reported a 18.9 billion rand loss. So that's about 1.2 billion US dollars, uh, which is uh, not insignificant for, for any organization. And we would like to turn that around into a profit. And if I can deliver those three things, then I, I'd be very happy. Well, I think there'll be lots of uh, your, your, your stakeholders, your consumers, and potential investors that would be very happy as well, Andre. So yeah. uh, success with all that. And thank you very much for your sharing your, your insights with us today. Thank you, everybody who's participated, listened to this Zero Week conversation. And thank you again, Andre. Thanks, Andy.